Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Instagram, or you can go to our website at heightschurch.org connect. Thank you for joining us. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for having me here. And let me just echo Pastor Lee's comments. I am so grateful for your partnership in the gospel here in Brazoria County, and not just Brazoria County, but in the state of Texas across North America and really all of the way around the world. You are a part of that, and, uh, and I thank you so much. It's a privilege to work together to see the gospel spread around the world, isn't it? And let me just say that as Southern Baptists, this is what sets us apart, I think, from our brother and sister denominations, right? There are lots of denominations that have great theology and doing great things, but the way that we cooperate together, the way that we pool our money and our resources uh, together to advance the gospel is what sets us apart. That's what makes us Southern Baptists. And, and I hope you understand that, and I am grateful to, that you are part of that. Um, let me just say, by the way, uh, I could just say, let's pray and be done and have an invitation because uh, uh, Brother Matt and, uh, and the praise team and the choir have done a great job of preaching Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 this morning. It's almost like you read it, brother, which in alone would be unusual for a worship pastor. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I really, that's just, I'm kidding. I know Matt really well, and he's a great man of God, and I appreciate you, brother. But I am serious. That was great worship this morning, focused on God's Word and what we're going to look at. And so I pray God would open your hearts. I, I just want to thank Lee for inviting me to be here. Um, and listen, I am so uh, just excited to be a part of this Flickering Lamp series. I believe this is more relevant and needed today than at any time, right? I mean, it's always relevant and needed by the church, right? I mean, it's God's Word. But the time that we're living in, the situation that we're living in here in our country and in this world, I think it's more relevant today than ever. And, and as a director of missions, I am so thankful for churches like Heights, where you have leaders who are constantly leading the church to constantly evaluate all the things that you're doing, right? That to constantly say, are we being biblically sound? as a church? Are we teaching God's Word? Uh, to, to make sure that, listen, the church is accomplishing the mission and achieving the vision that God has given this church, to see people saved and disciples, discipled, to be a city on a hill, to be a, a light of the world, to, to stand firm for the glory of God and for His kingdom. I'm thankful for that because sadly, that's not always the case in churches today, right? Sometimes, Churches get caught up in their routines. They do what they've always done because it has worked before and it's continuing to work, but you don't notice that the more you do the same thing, it's gradually diminishing in the returns. And so you do what is familiar and you stay comfortable. And so when that happens, when that happens, a church's impact on their community begins to wane. It begins to dim. The, the lamp of that church begins to flicker, so to speak, right? And eventually those churches, if they don't make the necessary changes to reconnect with the community and their mission and their vision, what happens is they end up closing their doors. The churches die. A study came out last year from LifeWay Research that said in 2019, 
4,500 evangelical churches in America did just that. They closed their doors. That's a staggering number, isn't it? And think about this. That's before the COVID pandemic. Probably we're going to find that the numbers are worse. So I hope that you as a church grasp how important this study of Revelation 1 through 3 is for you today. Important for you as a congregation, but listen, important for your community as well. It's important. These are seven literal letters containing the very words of Jesus Christ. And they were written to seven actual churches in Asia. And as part of Scripture, these seven literal letters are also written to actual churches today, just like Heights Baptist Church, and written to you individually as followers of Christ. Jesus is speaking directly to you and to me, friends, in his words here, both as a congregation and as individual followers. And, and listen, the focus here is on Jesus, okay? The focus of the book of Revelation is on Jesus, right? It's not on, it's not on trying to discover some hidden biblical code or, or maybe trying to determine the date that Jesus is going to come back or find out the identity and where the Antichrist is going to come from, right? A lot of people like to do that, and that's, you know, that's kind of fun sometimes and interesting theology, but that's not what the focus is here. The focus is Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Right? This is a book about worship. It's a book about worship. And so, as Pastor Lee told you in the opening sermon of this series, if we lose our focus on Jesus, that is when our lamps will begin to flicker. We've got to focus on Jesus. Last week, you studied the words of Christ to the church in Ephesus. It was a church that was holding on to the moral high ground. They, they were in a wicked, a wicked place. But somewhere along the line, the church in Ephesus forgot their first love. They, they stopped loving God and loving people like they had done at the first. And so Christ warned them. He said, listen, you need to remember your first love. Re remember and repent of what you're doing and return to the things that you did at first. Now this morning, we're going to study the next church, which is the church in Smyrna. So I want to invite you, if you're able to, to stand with me as I read from God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 8. And John writes, And to the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Pray with me, please. Father, we come to you this morning with a very simple prayer. Lord, what we do not know, please teach us. Lord, what we need but do not have, please give us. And Lord, what we are not, please make us. By the power of your Spirit, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by giving you a little background on Smyrna. 
Like the other churches in Revelation, it's located in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. I think I've got a map of that, if you've got my slides up there. You can see there is Smyrna, just a little bit south of Pergamos, north of Ephesus. If you prefer a modern-day map, here's where it is on the modern-day map to kind of give you an idea. This is a very important part of the world. Turkey is located right on that land bridge between Asia and Europe, and it's very prominent in our news today, isn't it? And it will be, I think, until Christ comes back. Smyrna, the word Smyrna means myrrh. It was named after Myra, who was the daughter of the king of Cyprus. And if you've studied Greek mythology, you know that Myra and her father, the king, had a child together. And because of that, the Greek gods turned her into a tree. And their child was a son who is Adonis. You've probably heard that name before. And Adonis was born from the trunk of the tree. Now that's really weird, <laughs> isn't it? But it helps us understand the, the pagan environment that existed there in Smyrna, right? When John was writing Revelation, Smyrna was this Roman city that was full of idol worship. There were pagan temples and shrines everywhere. There was also a temple to the Roman emperor. In fact, the residents of Smyrna were forced to worship the Roman emperor. Did you know that? And there was only one exception to that rule. And that rule was Judaism. <laughs> Romans were smart cookies, right? They knew that the Jews could cause a lot of trouble. And so to keep the peace, they said, okay, you Jews, you can continue to practice your religion. Just stay out of the way, all right? Now, in the church or in the city of Smyrna, there was a large population of active Jews but the church in Smyrna was made up mostly of Gentile converts, believers who are not Jews. And so you can understand why there was this hostility toward the church. The Jews didn't like the church, and the Romans didn't like the church because they considered it to be a threat to their way of life. Now, in these seven letters, what you'll notice that of the seven churches, there are two of them that, that Jesus only speaks good things about. There are three churches that Jesus has good things and bad things to say about. And then there's two churches that Jesus only has bad things to say. All right? That's kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right? so, so Ephesus was one of the bad churches. He said some good things and he said some bad things to Ephesus. But Smyrna is one of the good churches where Jesus only has praise for that church. And one of the things you'll notice as you study the letters is that each church contains a piece, the letter to the church contains a piece of the description of who Jesus is from Revelation chapter 1. I remind you of what that scripture says. In, in Revelation 1, John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Can you imagine that? Wow. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Who wouldn't? But as he laid his right hand on me, saying... Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. 
I died and behold on my life, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So each different church in these letters receives a, a specific description from Revelation 1 of who Jesus is. And see, Jesus chose each one of these phrases because he was encouraged that particular church in their specific situation with one aspect of his character. For Ephesus, he described himself as the one holding the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. But notice what he says to Smyrna. He says, look, I am the first and the last, the one who has died and the one who has come back to life. And as we look at our passage, I want us to consider the, this personal character of Jesus that he reveals to us in the letter. He says, first of all, I am first, right? I am first. See, that's because Jesus established the church, both the church universal, which is all believers of all time, but also the local church. Now, we don't know who planted the church in Smyrna. More than likely, it was it was Paul or maybe one of his disciples that he trained. But what we do know for sure, make no mistake about it, Jesus established the church in Smyrna. Understand that. In fact, without Jesus, there would be no church in Smyrna. There would be no church in Alvin, Texas or any place else for that matter. Agree? Jesus is the founder of the church. He's first. He also says, I'm last. He was there before that church existed, and guess what? He's still there after the church no longer exists. In fact, when this world passes away, Jesus will still be here. He's ever existing, right? He was there before, he'll be there afterwards. Paul wrote, he wrote this about Jesus in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Listen to this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. What did Jesus create? All things, everything. What's in all things? Right. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, this is a very important word, preeminent. Right? He is above all things. He is first, he is last. And when this world comes to its end, Jesus will still be there. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to judge all of humanity. And lastly, Jesus says that he is the one who has already died and has come back to life. What is that when he says that? I'm the one who's died and come back to life? Is this not just very simply the gospel? The clear gospel. Jesus is saying, I am the one that God sent. I died on the cross. I was dead. I was in the grave. But I rose again, and I am alive again. He is the Messiah. And guess what? He holds the keys to death and hell. Now, he describes himself like this because, listen, Jesus knows what's in store for the church in Smyrna. He can see, he knows, he understands what's coming down the line. He knows they're going to face persecution. And listen, they're not going to be persecuted just because the Jews and the Romans don't like them. They're going to be persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. Their faith in Jesus will cause them to suffer. And in our text, we read about this per predicted persecution because of Jesus. He starts off by saying, listen, I know your tribulation and your poverty. 
As I said, the church is considered dangerous by the Jews and the Romans. Can you imagine living in a community where nobody liked you? And not just that they don't like you, they wish you were gone and were not there anymore. (laughs) I've been there, I heard somebody say, yeah. Unfortunately, that happens in the world, right? The people in the church were also materially poor. And that's not real surprising, is it? I mean, think about this. You're this community that nobody likes. People aren't going to do business with you. How can you earn a living in a community where nobody wants to buy or sell with you? On top of this, it says the Jews were spreading lies about them, right? They were slandering the church. Can I just tell you, this was often the case in the early church. People are always telling lies about the church. Two of the biggest lies they said is, you know them Christians? They're cannibals. They said they're cannibals. <laughs> if you think about why they said that, right? What is one of the things that we today practice as one of the two ordinances of the church? The Lord's Supper, right? And if you think about the words of Jesus, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This is cup is the blood spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Take in. And so they said, these Christians, they're eating flesh and drinking blood of this guy they're worshiping. They're just a bunch of cannibals, right? Partially true, <laughs> but also not true. That's what slander is. They also would say, you know, these church people, they're, uh, <laughs> they have these immoral gatherings, right? The early church practiced what's called love feasts. And the love in love feast was agape, which is the unconditional, self-sacrificing, all-giving love that God showed to us in sending Christ to die for us, right? And so they had these agape feasts, which were just the community of the church coming together to eat together, to celebrate the Lord together, to build fellowship, to build unity, to build Christian love. But they spread word against the church and said, they're coming together and they're having a love feast, Right? And I'm sure they said a lot of other bad things about the church. In fact, they probably especially said some things about those Jews who did convert and join the church. There was slander going on in the church. And here's the thing. The slander was coming from people that were the respected members of society. The Jews who are allowed to worship their own God and for the Romans. They slandered the church. Does that happen today in our world? Does the church get slandered? Get on Facebook, right? The church is slandered. Now, all of this would be bad enough, but that's not, uh, that's not everything. Listen to what's coming in the future. <laughs> the church in, in Smyrna is going to suffer, right? <laughs> Jesus said more is coming. What's coming? Prison and death. <laughs> Apparently, a lot of them are going to be arrested and put in prison, and some of them are going to die. Now, it might catch your eye. It did mine. It says in the scripture that Jesus says the period of the persecution will be how long? Ten days. Now, part of me is like, I wonder if that's real, literal ten days. I mean, like ten days. We can make it for ten days, right? But scripture also says, Peter Peter wrote this, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. Oh, wait a minute. Ten thousand years of persecution. That doesn't sound too good. Uh, Bible scholars look at this and they say, you know what? The 10 days refers to the 10 persecutions that begin with the emperor Nero and end with the emperor Diocletian, right? And and that ends at the end of the third century. Well, I guess 200 years of persecution is better than 10,000, all right? 
These all sound plausible, don't they? Which one is it? Which one is true? Well, this morning, I want to tell you. I want to answer that question for you. I can tell you without any doubt in my mind at all this morning that I don't know. I don't have a clue. But here's the thing. I don't believe that the duration of that persecution is nearly as important as the purpose of the persecution. The purpose that God has for what is about to happen to the church in Smyrna. He says, listen, the devil is about to test you, church. The devil is about to test you. You hear that? That's the purpose of the persecution. It's a testing, right? Satan is going to test the faith of the people in the church. He's going to test and entice them to sin, right? Do you see that? That's what the devil's goal is. You know that, right? Right? His goal is to get the people in the church in Smyrna to publicly disavow their faith in Jesus. Guess what Satan would like to do here today in Heights Baptist Church? He would like to get you to disavow your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's what he does. Because when people that say they follow God turn away and disavow Jesus, it takes away God's glory. This is what our enemy wants to do. He doesn't give two rips about you or I. What he cares about is himself and stealing God's glory. I'm reminded of Job. Job was a righteous man, wasn't he? A righteous man of God. And Satan said, you know what, God? He's only faithful to you because of everything you've done for him, all the stuff he has. If you take that stuff away, he's going to curse you. So God says, okay, Satan, I'm going to allow you to attack him. You remember what happens at the end? Job remains faithful. God is glorified. Outside of the New Testament, the earliest record we have of martyrdom happens here in the church in Smyrna. There was a fellow by the name of Polycarp who was the bishop there in Smyrna. He was one of the early church fathers and happened also to be a close friend of the Apostle John, the writer of Revelation. At the age of 86, they came and they dragged Polycarp from his home and they tried to force him to disavow, to deny Christ. And he refused. And so the proconsul, they said, oh, you know what? If you don't do that, we're going to throw you to the wild animals. You know what Polycarp said? Okay, throw me to the wild animals. I'll die and then I'll be perfectly righteous. And so the proconsul said, well, if wild animals don't scare you, we're going to burn you at the stake. <laughs> Poly, I love Polycarp. <laughs> he says, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and then goes out. But there is coming a fire of judgment and eternal punishment for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Bring it on. And so they gathered the wood, and, and Polycarp, he just walked right up onto it. And they said, you know what, we're going to nail you to the stake there to be burned. And he says, hey, he who gives me the power to hold through this, to endure this, will keep me the, give me the power to stay in the fire. And so they light the fire, and the flames come up around Polycarp, kind of like wrapping around him like a sail. And the eyewitnesses say that he was in there, and the fire did not consume his flesh. In fact, the Roman soldiers had to take out their swords and stab him to put him to death. What faith? This is what was about to happen to Smyrna. This is the persecution that was coming. Arrest and prison for many, death for some. Satan had a purpose. He was going to steal God's glory by stealing God's people. But listen, 
God's purpose is to show his glory to the world. God's purpose is to show his glory to the world. He wants to increase the faith of his people. You see, there is purpose in suffering. There's purpose in persecution. James said it like this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, listen to this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see that purpose? Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see the intentionality there in suffering and in persecution? There is a process that God uses to mold and to shape us to how he wants us to be. There are some today who preach what's called a prosperity gospel, right? The prosperity gospel claims that God's purpose for all of us as his followers is to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous here on earth, in our life on earth. If you want to have God's promises, then you just got to claim them, right? Okay, God, you want to be famous and healthy and wealthy. I claim it. Now, I want to ask you something this morning. (laughs) How does this prosperity gospel line up with what Jesus is telling the church in Smyrna? Does it line up in any way? It doesn't right? Jesus says, hey, Smyrna Baptist Church, I see that you're poor and you're going through some troubles. Take heart. You're also going to be arrested and put in prison and you're going to die. That sounds like the prosperity gospel to me. How about you? What Jesus is saying is, listen, I know that you have a strong faith. He's praising the church in Smyrna. He says, you are what? Rich. What is this that they're rich in? What is the greatest thing the church in Smyrna has? Jesus. They're rich in Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus says, I'm going to allow Satan to test you because, listen, I know that in me, Jesus says, you have uh, the power to stand up to what's coming. Just trust me. Just have faith. And he works to build up their faith, to give them hope. And he promises his protection in this. Listen to this protection he talks about. First, he says, I'll give you the crown of life. (laughs) The same crown that James mentions. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is not a crown uh, uh, that uh, that like a king wears, right? This is not what you see in Game of Thrones or, or Lord of the Rings, right? This is more like in the Olympics. In, in the Olympics, when they, they used to be run, the winners would get a laurel wreath on their head, right? Today, we give them gold medals, right? The, the uh, crown that we're talking about here is something that's rewarded. It's a public honor and a recognition for victory, and so what believe, when believers persevere in the face of this persecution, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to recognize you, and I'm going to give you a reward. You'll receive a crown, the crown of life. Jesus is not blind to the suffering of his people, all right? He's not blind. He sees it. He knows it. 
Finally, Jesus promises the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, I love that song that we sang, Matt, about, about being a conqueror, an overcomer. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Listen, you're not going to be hurt by the second death, right? Uh, you that are, re- that are faithful in Jesus, those that refuse to deny him, you will be an overcomer and you're not going to suffer the second death. What is the second death? It, it's hell, right? Every one of us is going to die the first death, right? Is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. And after the judgment comes the second death for some those who do not belong to Christ. I know hell is not a popular topic, but friends, hear me this morning. Hell is real. It is a real place. I know we don't like to talk about it, but it's an eternal destiny for those who are not in Christ. It's a literal place, a place of eternal punishment and pain, completely devoid of all that is good. But Jesus says, (laughs) notice he doesn't promise to remove them from the persecution Right? He doesn't promise the church in Smyrna that they're going to be safe in this world, that they'll continue to be comfortable. No, he promises something that is eternal. They'll receive the crown of life in heaven. They'll receive eternal life from him, but not separation from him. Right? So as we wrap this, how do we make sense of all this to us? How does it apply to Heights Baptist Church or, or to me as a follower of Christ and who is a part of Heights Baptist Church? Well, remember, as I said, these are Jesus' actual words to you and to me and to this church, right? If we live our lives, we need to understand, number one, if we live our lives for Jesus, you will be persecuted. It's not a matter of when, or excuse me, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's coming. This world hates the church. And I think you would agree with me that every day this is becoming more and more evident. But take heart. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you also. Listen, friend, you will be persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Count on it. But it's not the only reason you'll be persecuted. This might not be a comfortable thing to hear, but sometimes God allows his church to go through suffering, to be persecuted, and he does it on purpose. All right? The Bible says that suffering leads to endurance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. Right? Sometimes suffering and persecution are the things that lead us back to our real source of hope, which is Jesus Christ. And God knows that because he's a loving father and he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. So sometimes we go through suffering and persecution because God is bringing us back to him. Second, if we stay faithful to God through persecution and suffering, God, I guarantee you this, God will keep his promises. He is a promise-keeping God. He will keep us eternally, the crown of life, escape from the second death, and the promise of living joyfully in his presence forever. Brothers and sisters, know this morning that in Christ there is hope. 
I believe persecution is coming to the church in America. It might be tomorrow, it might be next year, it might be decades from now, but understand this, it's coming. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've got a relationship with him, then be encouraged because he is all you need to make it through that persecution. You are rich, brother in Christ. You are rich, sister in Christ. Maybe you're like the church in Smyrna and you're going through tough times right now. Then I just want to tell you, be encouraged because listen, our Lord knows what you're going through where you're at today. He is your hope. It may not feel like it, but God is using your suffering to perfect you, to build you up, to give you hope. And so my challenge to us today as believers and followers of Christ is stand firm in your faith in Jesus. If you don't, persecution can cause your lamp to flicker. But listen, if we stand firm in our faith, persecution will cause our lamp to blaze brightly for the glory of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I want you to know, friend, that Jesus is really your only hope. Your only hope. You might be thinking, I'm doing good like I am. I don't need anything. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. Well, friend, without Jesus, you are destined for that second death that we just talked about in Revelation 2. You see, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Take a look around this this, uh, auditorium this morning. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. And the wages of sin is death. That's the second death, eternity in hell. There's nothing you can do on your own to change your destiny. You can't give enough money to the church. You can't help enough people. You cannot pray enough. You cannot do enough good things. Only Jesus can change your destiny. Jesus is your only hope. So this morning, friend, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believe and you're made right with God. It's with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. This morning, I encourage you to do that, my friend. Because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to thank you so much for watching today's message and just want to ask you an important question. And it's essentially this. Have you made a decision in your life to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? You know, there's a man in the Bible one time that came up to Christ and said, Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe today you're sitting there thinking that exact same thing. I know I have a lot of things in my life, but I'm not sure I have eternal life. I'm not sure I have the forgiveness of my sin that's promised by Jesus in the Bible. And Christ told that man, you have to follow me. And so that's what the Bible tells us, that in order to be saved, we follow Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And to follow him means this, we trust him. By faith, we're trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. By faith, we're trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave for the forgiveness of our sin. And so, in order to start that relationship, place your trust and faith in Christ. I know a lot of people maybe overcomplicate it, but the Bible says what you do is pray. Just call out to the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls out the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I just want to encourage you right now where you are, 
If you're ready to begin a relationship with Christ, you can simply just bow your head and pray with me. Say, Dear God, I'm ready today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. By faith, I trust in His death, burial, and resurrection. God, thank you for saving me from my sins and giving me eternal life with you. I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer with me, to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect. And there on that connect page, you're going to see a little tab that says decision. You click that decision, fill out that information. That's going to come right to me and we'll be in touch with you no matter where you are because our mission here at Heights is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. So we want to just help you take that next step of faith. So go to heightschurch.org slash connect. Click that decision button and let us know that today you began a relationship with Christ. Till we see each other again, God bless.